0: Thank you for listening to the Prairie Oaks Pulpit Podcast. This is a recording of our Sunday morning sermons here at Prairie Oaks Baptist Church in Prairie Grove, Arkansas. Thank you for being a participant in this ministry through this media. And thank you to those who helped make it possible. Now may God bless you and keep you. And let's get to the message. rest of us turn in our Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We're going to read the first 14 verses, but we'll eventually do the whole chapter. But just, I have to break things up into little chunks. And so, that's what I'm doing today. Um, but John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin... Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he'd removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then, as soon as they'd come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you've just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pause for prayer. Father, just thankful for the time and your word. I thank you, Lord, for the, the privilege to lift our voices and sing and and to remind us of your goodness to us and who you are. I thank you, Lord, for uh, just each one that participates in prayer and, and voice and musicians and in and, and our Sunday school and in uh, and, and serving and just thankful, Lord, uh, to be a part of Prairie Oaks. And I just pray, Lord, that you guide my words and thoughts to accurately teach your word. I ask that your spirit stir in here and in Children's Chapel, Lord, that your word would find fertile ground in our hearts to produce fruit unto repentance and righteousness. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. You are so good. We pray that the lost would be saved, lives transformed, and your name would be praised. Your kingdom come. And in the name of Jesus Christ, the true king and the hero of the story, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we've been going through John and we saw his evidence for the resurrection. We saw as he went through and Mary Magdalene had seen Jesus and then he appeared to 10 of the 12 disciples and and they were elated. He was alive. It was not what they anticipated, even though they had been warned. It was just. So much. But Thomas, he wasn't there. You remember? And uh, and he was kind of he sounds doubtful. He sounds discouraged when everyone else got to see the wounds, everyone else got to touch. He didn't. But he didn't give up. He stayed with the believers. And I think that's a lesson for us. And that in his doubts and in his discouragement, he kept going with the people who believed knowing that, well, God's going to answer my prayer. I'm just going to keep seeking. And sure enough, a week later, Jesus shows up again and challenges him, doesn't he? Come, feel, this is what you wanted. And Thomas came away believing. My God, my Lord. And John tells us that he handpicked as he as he meditated on on what he had seen and experienced throughout all of his time with Jesus. He says, I've written these things that you might believe in Jesus, the son of God, and that believing you may have eternal life through faith in his name. That was why he wrote these things. And it is it is a stunning climax to his gospel. And then we read what, there's there's one more chapter. I wonder why he added this then. Well, as any good storyteller, he knows there's some loose ends he wants to tie up. And there's some things that we really need to learn. And so he says, so Jesus showed up again. And this time it wasn't to the, all the group, but it was to a select group. It was uh, seven of these guys were only given the names of about five of them. And. Peter seems to be the leader in this in that, well, he's going to go fishing. He's gone back to Galilee like Jesus had told him to. And I've heard many a preacher criticize Peter for going fishing. But I think it's uh, interesting that they always brag on the Apostle Paul for being a tent maker and working with his hands to provide for his needs. And, well, Peter is a commercial fisherman and. If you hadn't noticed, uh, Jesus has died on a cross, rose again, isn't with them all the time and offerings have dropped off and he's got to provide for his family. And so if he was Paul, he would have made tents, but he's Peter and he's fishing. And so he goes fishing. And after fishing uh, with, I don't know how many of these were experienced fishermen. We know the sons of Zebedee were. Uh, they grew up in a fishing business. Some of the others may have been professionals. The others may have just been hungry. But they went all fishing, this, these seven guys. And they fished all night and caught nothing. It's pretty discouraging. When you're hungry and nothing works together, it's pretty discouraging. And then there's this guy on the shore and he tell, says what? What? You got anything to eat? No. Try the other side of the boat. I'm impressed that they didn't catch on at this quick. You know, when you're living it, we're never as quick as we are when we're reading over the shoulders, right? Because in Luke, they had a very similar experience. But this time in Luke, in early part of their ministry, Jesus was in the boat. And he said, You haven't caught anything all night? Well, let's go out and catch something. And so they did exactly what he said, even though it didn't make sense, and they caught more than they could catch. But this time, you know, 100 yards, I don't have good enough eyesight to pick people out at 100 yards. Maybe their voice. But they didn't know who it was, but they followed his instructions. And they dipped it over to the other side of the boat, and then they couldn't pull the net in. And one of them, we assume that the disciple whom Jesus loved is John at this point in the story because, well, we've now narrowed it down to to just a handful of guys here and that John makes the best sense. And John leans over to Peter and says, It's the Lord. Now, this is significant what his reaction is. It's easy to miss it because Peter... On the one hand, we know what Peter does when Jesus is over there and Peter is here, right? Peter closes the gap. He doesn't like to be a long ways from Jesus. He wants to be right with Jesus. And so forget the boat, forget the fish, forget his friends. He's in the water and he's swimming for shore. And I don't know about you, it's kind of odd. He doesn't take off his coat to swim. He puts it on to swim. Interesting detail, but I think there's probably significance to it in that. Well, go back to that story in Luke. When there was the miraculous catch, he turned to Jesus and said, get away from me. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. A lot's happened in that time. And most significantly, he denied Jesus three times. And the third time he did it to his face. Their eyes met as he denied knowing who Jesus was with an oath. And you can't help but think just like Adam and Eve in the garden, they wanted something to cover their shame. And so he grabbed his coat and jumped in, but he couldn't stop himself. He wanted to be with Jesus. And just like Thomas was an example to us last week. In his doubt and his discouragement, he didn't stop seeking. Peter, in his shame and in his regrets, he didn't stop seeking. He wasn't going to run away from Jesus. He was going to run to Jesus. I hope in our shame and in our regrets, we don't turn away from Jesus, but we run to him. Whatever it is. Because we find... Jesus not pushing anyone away, but he welcomes sinners who are willing to repent. And that came up in our Sunday school class. You know, we are our own punishment oftentimes because our sins separate us from God. But will we choose our sins or will we choose God? Because that's repentance is that word in the Greek. It's for a U-turn. U-turn's allowed. Flip the U-e, come back towards God, away from the sin. And find that God is right there. And so rather than inflicting our own punishment of fleeing from the presence of God, Peter flees to the presence of God. And we don't know what all takes place in the short time that he's on the shore with Jesus, before the rest of the disciples get there, but we know that he got there first, and the rest of them they come. Like I said, it's about a hundred yards, and they're they're dragging their boat and dragging the net with a bunch of fish, and they get there, and there's a coals, a, a fire of coals there, and John he's he's he even there's little details. And if if that didn't, like, ring a bell, fire of coals, it's the second time he's mentioned. And it's the only two times in all the New Testament that a fire of coals is mentioned. When was the other time? There in the high priest's courtyard, Peter standing with all the enemies, warming his hands over a fire of coals. And so John is, is setting us up. He's wanting us to see that this this whole episode is about Jesus and Peter. They've They've met once already, but this is the one where the whole the whole group needs to see this reconciliation. To see what Peter's role is going to be. And there's no better way to do that than over food. Do you notice that? He has that. Not only a fire of coals there, but there's fish, there's bread. And Jesus, he says, Yeah, bring some of the ones that you caught. I've made sure that your work isn't in vain. And so they, Peter drags the the net in, the others, and they, I think it's funny, they count the fish. Well, of course, they're, they're going to have to divide it up and, and sell and eat and, and pay the bills. Um, But it was an eyewitness account that we're seeing here. And even more miraculous, the net wasn't broken. And so Jesus says, says what? Well, it's what every Baptist wants to hear. Come and dine. Come and dine. Come and eat. And and they all know that it's Jesus. And you know, it's a sweet time of fellowship. And so that's that's a start of that reconciliation. That Jesus, our Lord, Our Lord is dignifying their work. He's met them not just at church now. He's met them at work. Where they've just been laboring and doing. Because Jesus doesn't just meet with the preachers. Jesus meets with all of us, doesn't he? Where we are, where we're working. Our work is important to God. Whether it's. Working with our hands or working with our brains or working with both or working with. But he that's that's ministry unto God as well. He designed us to work. And and that's where he wants to meet us. And he will provide for us through those means. Because you see that, too. They worked all night, didn't catch anything. But when Jesus interjected himself into their work, then they produced. Amen. Amen. And he wants us to let him into our work, whatever it is that we're doing. Whether you eat or drink or are at your at your job or all these things, work as unto the Lord and not just as unto men. And so it's a that's important. This is this isn't just uh, the exclusive territory of of professional ministers. We're all in the ministry when we are all doing as unto the Lord. And so they have this time together and then we pick up with verse 15. And so I'm going to I'm just going to read through this and I may interrupt interrupt myself as I go along. But verse 15 says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. And so Simon, normally he called him Peter, didn't he? And so I kind of wonder what's what's going on there. But I can't help but think that, that this. It goes back to the beginnings again. That Simon, son of Jonah, you shall be called Peter. But Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And we're not entirely sure what the these are. More than these, the the things of fish and the business of fishing and stuff. Maybe. Because he is supposed to have priority over those things, even though he does honor those things. But I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. Do you love me more than you love these guys? Well, we're to love one another. God comes first. But I don't think that's what he's getting at either. I do wonder, though, do you love me more than these people love me? That gets to a point that's kind of right there where Peter was. Because before Peter fell, Peter had said, everyone else may fail you, but I will never fail you. I'll go all the way to death with you, Jesus Implied, I love you more than everyone else loves you. But Peter doesn't have that same bragging anymore, does he? The pride is gone. Sometimes it takes some failure to humble our pride, doesn't it? Ugh, We don't like it. But God likes to get rid of pride. That's one of the things he hates. And God disciplines those he loves. And Peter's been sifted. And he's... One of the things that is sifted out is that pride. That overconfidence in himself. And so you hear it. Yes, Lord. You know I love you. You know... You know me better than I know me. Because also implied in his arrogant reply earlier was, You don't know me that well, Jesus. I won't fail you. (laughs) Oh, now he knows. Jesus knows me way better than I know me. But you know my love for you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And I think there is a important connection here in that the first and greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself and that Jesus is linking those together again. If you love me, then you'll love the ones that I love. You know, and, oh, you know, there's just a lot of times we love this person, man, the people that they like, I can't stand, <laughs> you know, maybe sometimes you marry someone like that. I love this person, but their family, Oof. you know, that's not a good situation to be in. And so here's your free marital advice for the handful of single people in here is don't marry someone if you can't get along with their family. There you go. Better figure that one out. But Jesus loves his sheep. He died for his sheep. And so his command is, if you love me, then you will love my sheep. And he doesn't just say sheep. He says, my lambs. And that's talking about his babies, and there's a real good rule of thumb: is you don't criticize any person's baby, especially Jesus's. And now we've gone to meddling, right? Because I'm not to be criticizing, you're not to be criticizing his his babies. Instead, we're to feed them, we're to care for them as an expression of our love for Jesus. But God, it's hard sometimes. But he says to Peter, If you love me, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now he's not even asking if it's more. Do you just love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So for a second and a third time, he questions them. And John makes a point of reminding us this is the third time. Because what is he doing? He's reminding us, isn't he? Going back to the three times that he denied. And now in front of his friends, he's saying, you're right, God. You know me better, but you know that I love you. You know that I love you. And three times he commissions Peter if you love me, take care of my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. Now, if you have a study Bible or you look in the commentaries, they don't all agree that uh, John is playing with words here. But I can't help but think that. John is playing with words here because John's one of those, he likes to sit and think. And uh, he's thought a lot about what Jesus has said over his time and and thought a lot about what the Old Testament says. So on the one hand, you can just look at this just as we did and say, okay, this is what's going on. Three times he denied him. Three times Jesus elicits this, this love and three times commissions him. But there's some nuances that escape us. Um, And you've probably heard preachers bring this out. Because in English, we have this one word. One overused, underapplied word called love. You can love your mama. You can love your spouse. And you can love pizza. But I hope it's not in the same way. (laughs) In the Greek, you can... Love your mama, you can love your spouse, and you can love pizza, and you can love your brother, and it all be said in a different way so that people know what you're talking about. They have different words for all of those things, and you've heard that before. And Jesus and Peter, well, Peter uses one of them, Jesus uses two of them. And I think John kind of expects us to to back up and think about that. Because one of those, um, and I I do not claim to know how to pronounce Greek words, so just forgive me if you do, and I don't say it right. But it's agapao, agapos. Yeah, I said it right the first time, not the second time. But it is a word for a more unilateral love. Unconditional sometimes. But it's especially... a will a choice to love it's not a warm and fuzzy chose to love and oftentimes this word is used in the in the new testament for god and his love for us because it highlights that we're not all that lovable but god loves us anyways and twice Jesus asked Peter, do you love me like that? And Peter backs up a little bit, it seems, because he doesn't reply with that word. He chooses the word phileo. And it's unfortunate that it's connected to a very uh, disreputable city in our country, but it's connected to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But it's more of a love of feeling. It's also a love between peers of friends, which made it unusual when brothers love each other that much. But it was. It's a love because I was loved first. And so in some ways, Peter's nailing it. He doesn't love the way God does. He loves because God is very lovable. And so we love and he loved Jesus like that. He loved Jesus with all of his emotions. And three times he affirms that. And that's why I think after the first two, Jesus meets him where he's at and says, do you love me like that? And Peter's like, well, you, you know, not only all things, but you know Me. And you know that I love you. And Peter does the same thing. He plays with the word there called know. Because again, you can know how to plant a garden. You can know how to do algebra. And you can know your wife. But you probably don't know them all in the same way. And in the Greek, they have different words for all those different things. Jesus, you know everything in that He knows this wide base of knowledge. You know everything kind of word. But the next time he says, in that third time, you know everything and you know. He's talking about a very intimate knowledge of love. Jesus, you know, very intimately how I love you with all my emotions. Because you first loved me. You see how there's some nuances that's coming out in this now. You can hear the humility in it. But it's still very. It's very real as he says. But I, I love you, Jesus. And my broken messiness. And so when we sing songs like, oh, how I love Jesus. It's sometimes hard to sing that because we know my love's kind of shallow. My love is not what it should be. But Jesus allows that. Did you notice? He didn't tell Peter, no, you don't. He said, "Okay, this is how I want you to express that. And again, as I pointed out, Jesus uses some different terminology in there. In some of our translations, it always says feed. But Jesus is actually using one word for feed, another word for shepherding. He's pointing out different things, just like sometimes he talks about lambs. Other times he's just talking about four legged quadrupeds um, that we understand he's talking about sheep, but he's. He's encompassing more and more as he says this. And then he says something extra. And that's one thing that you can always say for God. You can ask for one thing, but he's going to give you some extra. We may not like the answer we got, but he gives us something extra. And so he gives, Jesus gives Peter something extra. Verse 18 Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And I, I think about this. And I go back to that conversation in the garden as they were walking to the garden, as I imagine it. Jesus, I would lay down my life for you. Everyone else may fail, but I won't. And then he denied him three times. And now here Jesus says, and you will go all the way to death with me. Because now you're ready. The pride was in the way. Your improper view of me was in the way. And I can't help but think that Jesus has got a smile on his face when he knows. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And that's the last thing you need. And when you get the Holy Spirit, you're going to be unstoppable. Because you know what? Same thing's true for us. That's what we need. It's his spirit. We need our pride broken down. We need some repentance and we need his spirit. Go get him. Walk in the spirit. And and so he's giving Peter good news in this. If you think about it from the eyes of that disciple. Yeah, it's scary because, oh, I'm going to get crucified. But on the other hand, it's like, but I'm going to remain faithful. I'm going to remain faithful even unto death. Failure is not going to mark how I finish my life. I'm going to finish strong. I'm going to stay faithful even unto death. And if you read through the scriptures, that's a powerful motivation. That God wants us to have is that we finish strong and we don't just kind of peter out and saying We use that kind of word, right? But we don't just kind of sputter to a stop and and fall away from God, but that we stay strong to the end. That we don't let up. Because Peter is being told, you're going to go all the way with me. So follow me. Stay with me. And I think it's that picture that Peter, he looks around. In verse 20, then Peter turned around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned at his, on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who's the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, I have to admit, it's kind of a weird way to ask that question. But this is, one, they've always kind of competed, but at the other side, they competed as friends. Outside of Jesus, this is Peter's best friend, is John. You see him together all the time. And so you can't help but wonder if, Peter's a little worried. He's like, I wouldn't want John to go through that. Is he going to? What's going to happen to all my friends? And Jesus isn't going to answer that question, is he? Just like for us, we don't know what lies ahead. We can make some guesses and we can make some wonderings, but in reality, we don't know. And Jesus says that's the way it's supposed to be. Instead, you... Follow me. Day by day. Every day. You follow me. In the word. In prayer. Just follow me. It'll work out. Just follow me. And just like human beings, they got a little confused about Jesus' answer. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but... If I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? And he says, he never said that I wasn't going to die. And I wonder as John is writing this, he's like, I'm getting pretty old and I'd kind of like to die. (laughs) It's been a long journey. He's outlived all of his friends. You know, we talked about this last week. He's probably the last living eyewitness of Jesus. You know, He's going to stay faithful to the end. he's kind of hoping the end gets sooner rather than later. And if he had known that it was going to be another 1900 years or more, he probably wouldn't have wanted to live that long anyways, would you? Instead, he says, that's not what Jesus said. He just said, you know, that's not your business. But this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, that believing you would have eternal life through faith in his name. So we've been given what we need to be given. As God told through Moses in Deuteronomy, the secret things are my secrets. They're not your business. But instead, you pay attention to what I have given you. So what are you going to do? We're going to want to chase all the secrets. We want to chase all the the mysteries, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But let us be faithful in what He has given us. Will you stand? Will you respond? Because the Lord is inviting us to follow Him. If you have questions or things you need to talk about, uh, you can come to the altars. uh, But Whatever the Holy Spirit is prompting, will you respond as He leads this morning?